This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I'm Sarah Anderson, and I'm on the faculty here at the Bren School. Um, and I'm really pleased today to introduce Steve Van Salabe here, who is the Frank G. Thompson Professor of Government at Harvard, um, and is now our Zurich Financial Services Distinguished Visitor on Climate Change here at the Bren School. Um, the support of that program lets us bring in folks who know a lot about environmental policy, law, business, and science um, to enrich what we can provide here um, at the Bren School um, related to climate change. And so as part of that, he's, uh, Steve is here for two weeks, and during that time he's teaching a short course that I know some of you out there are taking. Um, he's surfing, of course. He's giving a couple of seminars. This is one of a couple that he's giving. Um, he's hiking, which I appreciate because I got to go on one of those hikes. Um, he's meeting with graduate students and faculty seemingly constantly. Um, and he, we've been discussing collaborations and projects going forward, so it's been really um, fun to have Steve here. I first got to know Steve when he was my undergraduate advisor at MIT. <coughs> And then he was also on my dissertation committee. And for those of you out there who are graduate students or who are working on your GPs right now, finishing up your group projects, um, he gave me some of the best advice I ever got for getting unstuck, which was make your table and write about it. And so I don't know where are my GP people, right? We're right at that stage. <laughs> make your table and write about it. Um, so Steve's an expert on public opinions and elections in particular, um, and he's looked at the consequences of negative campaigning. He's looked at voting technology. He does a lot of work on representation. Um, but for our purposes here at the Bren School, his expertise in public opinion really lies in understanding how people think about energy, energy technology, energy siting, and then what that means for how we move toward effective responses to climate change. And I think that's exciting. So for example, in their book, he wrote a book with David Kaniski, who's also a collaborator on this project. Um, finding that people really care about whether their energy is cheap and clean. And maybe we can harness that sort of clean idea to regulate mercury and in the process get some progress on um, carbon emissions. And so now he's turned his eye to siting, thinking about um, the siting of energy, and that's what he's going to talk about today. So help me please welcome Steve Ansolivy here. It always makes me very nervous when somebody starts by saying that I once gave them some great advice because you never know what the next sentence is. <laughs> um, it's uh, wonderful to be here. Thank you, Sarah and colleagues, for welcoming me. Uh, it's been a lovely uh, few weeks, and I love coming back to Santa Barbara. I'm originally from California, from Sacramento. My dad grew up in Bakersfield. I have cousins in SLO, so I'm sort of surrounded by family, which always feels good. Um, I started working on energy around 2001. Uh, at that time, I was working on voting technology pretty intensely. And my colleagues uh, at MIT were starting a new project on nuclear power. And they were told that they were putting the cart before the horse, that the public would never go for building 300 new nuclear power plants, which turned out to be true. Um, uh, but they needed to engage uh, uh, with me. And I'd never really worked seriously on uh, energy and environment issues before then, but it started a pretty intensive long-term investigation, and my colleague Dave Kaniski also started with me uh, on that path around then. 
the current project is a project that the Sloan Foundation was very interested in, and, and that is a little more micro than the MIT Energy Initiative and projects we're involved with, which were global and national uh, policy making about what the portfolio of energy sources ought to be given global warming. And this is more about transitions and changes, which is we're constantly in a process of transition. And how do we make those transitions? How do we build more infrastructure? To give you a sense, um, you know, the U.S. population is expected to grow from 320 million people now to, 200, uh, to over 400 million people by 2060. That's pretty rapid growth. A lot of that's immigration, uh, people moving to places where there aren't people currently. How do we get the necessary infrastructure for them to live? How do we get the energy for them to live? We're also facing another big transition, which is as we start to think about cleaner ways of producing electricity as coal goes by the wayside, how are we going to actually build and where are we going to build the infrastructure for new energy? Where are we going to put wind farms? Where are we going to put LNG terminals? Where are we going to do other things that are necessary to create an alternative future? So to put this in a little perspective, um, most of the 640,000 miles of high-voltage transmission lines were built over 60 years ago, and they were expected to live 50 years. Um, the U.S. and Canada expect to invest over half a trillion dollars over the next 20 years um, for the infrastructure for midstream natural gas, crude, and natural gas liquids. <clears throat> Those are pipelines and LNG facilities. Half a trillion dollars, that's fair amount, fair investment. And as we think about alternative energy sources such as wind and solar and the transition away from coal, um, there will be over 1,000 new renewable generators and almost 500 new natural gas generators built over the next four or five years. That's a lot, um, or planned to be built over the next four to five years. And some of the change is also retirement, so things are going to go away. We're not studying that piece of the problem. It's an interesting piece of the problem. What do we do with the toxic waste facilities that are uh, old generation facilities? What do we do with retired nuclear plants? What do we do with retired coal plants? Um, instead, we're focusing on how do people um, deal with uh, the construction of new technologies. This is probably the image you have in your mind. Um, these are some of the visuals around local construction projects. This, by the way, is Cape Wind. Um, which was effectively delayed by the Kennedys single-handedly. But everywhere throughout the country, from Tacoma to Cape Cod, from Texas to Iowa, there are plans for big energy improvements and infrastructure construction. And seemingly everywhere, there's protests against those. Our study um, is really focused on the question of understanding what those protests mean. What is the basis, really, of public opinion about the construction of new energy? 
Uh, David and I started on this project because we'd written a short article on NIMBYism, finding that there was massive variation across types of projects. So a wind project was actually support of, the, the question was, if a project was built within 25 miles of your home, would you oppose or support it? Wind projects, majorities of people supported it. Nuclear power plants, nearly everyone opposed it. So it's not the case that NIMBY isn't a one-size-fits-all answer. People are not opposed to anything and everything reflexively. And yet, the protests we see uh, seem to reflect some sort of NIMBY reaction. And what we're trying to do is understand uh, this very acronym that usually is used to explain public attitudes about new uh, construction. <laughs> NIMBYism, LULUs, bananas, NIAMBYs, whatever acronym you want. Uh, banana, build absolutely nothing anywhere near anyone. Um, uh, is reflective of, a, we think, an extreme version that may apply to some people, but not most people. And so what we're going to try to do, uh, what I'm going to try to do is con convince you that NIMBY isn't. Um, it isn't actually a thing out there that um, there aren't these kind of local reactions, they aren't as reflexive, and that we're misinterpreting what the protests are all about. We'll come back to that a little later. So the design of this study, um, we'd approached Sloan to do one study, and they said, well, we'd really like you to look at this other thing. Um, and it was a pretty interesting thing. We were also interested in it, so we went ahead and, and um, uh, approached <coughs> this project. Um, the design of this study was to try to understand the degree of opposition to very local siting um, of projects that were in the process. These are not things that are already done. These are not things that are in some idea. But somebody's, some company is already taking the initiative to start siting an LNG terminal, a pipeline, a transmission line, a nuclear power plant. That's what they want to do. And they've already started in the process. The study had multiple pieces, and I'm just going to talk to you about one of them. Our colleague Parrish Bergquist did most of the work on which I, what I think was maybe the most fascinating part of the study, which was to just go out and interview as many stakeholders around 15 or 16 of these uh, facilities as possible. Um, that eventually became her dissertation, which is um, an excellent dissertation. And maybe Parrish is someone who would be a good colleague here someday. Um, we also conducted studies of the states in which these um, facilities are being located, trying to compare the attitudes in the area of the state that were not near the pipeline or the transmission line or the power plant and the areas that were very proximate within the same zip code within 25 miles. Um, so very proximate to these pro projects. That involves doing an analysis, uh, doing a sample design that uh, really taxed a lot of the ability of most survey design technologies. It's really hard to get good, accurate samples in local areas. The cost of doing the survey escalates. Now, we can talk a bit about that. Um, and then a third part was just a national surveys of, of um, public attitudes about uh, construction and energy development uh, generally. There are a few concepts that we took from our earlier work, and they're, they're going to pop out again in this work. 
which is that when, when David and I think about um, public attitudes about energy, we think of the public approaching energy more like a consumer than an engineer. So a lot of the survey work we did at MIT was working with engineers. And the engineers time and again were astonished at how, how little people knew about what they were doing. Um, uh, it was a humbling thing for them to realize that people were, that it was they who were, who were wrapped up in this topic and maybe the rest of the public was not so interested. People think about energy in some really different ways than the policymakers or the experts or the engineers do. Um, People think about energy in terms of what we call attributes. So it's more like a consumer good. When you go to the grocery store, you might buy a product because uh, it has certain attributes, like it's tasty or it's healthy. You don't buy the product because it was made in a certain way. Some people do, small percent, about 5%, do buy products because they're made in a certain way. But most people buy a product because it's healthy or because it tastes good. And a lot of our products, like energy are the same way. We don't really think about who produced the electricity that's generating the light that's being projected in the room right now or that's running my computer. In fact, it would be foolish to start to think about that because electrons really aren't that separable. Like we can't say, oh, that's a nuclear electron and that's a coal electron. It's just not the way the world works. So when we as consumers approach energy, where the energy came from is not really in the top of our mind. It's probably not even in the bottom of our mind. It's probably not in our mind at all. We think about the, the characteristics of that energy. Is it reliable? Right? Do we have brownouts? Um, uh, is it, um, do we think it's, it, when it comes to a project, do we think the project's safe? Same with our neighborhoods and construction and development in our neighborhoods. Um, do we think that this site will destroy our property values and so forth? So what are those attributes? And attributes are the actual characteristics of the project that we care about. Second concept that we'll come back to is perceptions. What do we see? What do we actually believe about the attributes? We might have false beliefs or no belief at all. We may know nothing. Third idea is the weight. How much does one attribute have in our thinking over another? So when I buy a bag of, of uh, snack food in the grocery store, I might think I care about health more than I care about price. Right? Or maybe it's the other way around. Um, and finally, uh, attitudes. What are our general orientations, such as uh, our risk attitudes, our ideology, our sense of environmentalism, our um, culturally informed values. These are all going to come back as we think through this problem. Um, what was striking about uh, this study is how much, uh, not intentionally, but how much uh, it paralleled our earlier work on um, uh, electricity generation generally. The study then started to form around just uh, measuring local versus state attitudes about plant location, how much opposition there was, whether you would protest, uh, whether you were involved in protest. Those were the kinds of questions we were trying to, to measure. How much reflexive opposition locally was there to the proposed siting of several, state, several plants? There were a lot of plants uh, going on, uh, proposed and transmission lines at this time. And we decided 
um, to focus on six big states. One reason for focusing on big states is it gets it, the sampling is much better. It's much easier to do a good survey in a state like California than North Dakota or Wyoming, um, just because most survey firms uh, know how to get a good sample out of California, and North Dakota tends to be a more difficult state for various reasons. So we focused on big states, and the big states also have a lot of projects and a lot of variation in, in the areas in which those projects are located. California, Florida, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Texas. And the idea was to compare public attitudes in the local areas, the counties through which, say, a transmission line were passing, and the zip codes in those counties that were within 25 miles. So we were explicitly sampling from those zip codes and the people elsewhere in the state. And we can discuss like what really counts as local or what really counts as in the vicinity of a project. Um, uh, to our knowledge, this is as local as anybody's been able to get so far with a survey. Nobody's really done a good survey that's like places, houses underneath the transmission line. Um, uh, so to construct a sample, you need a fair um, population. And as far as we know, this is as close as we, we, anybody's been able to get so far. Um, perhaps as survey technology improves, maybe we will be able to just nail down addresses and um, sample from those. Um, and we looked at uh, some 15 or 16 projects <clears throat> in three categories, pipelines, transmission lines, and power plants. So for pipelines, there's a list of the pipeline projects and the, st the samples that we had. Um, Pilgrim is an oil pipeline in New York, Atlantic Sunrise, a natural gas pipeline in Pennsylvania, and so forth. And we've got a little bit in many of the states. We have uh, state samples of 1,800 in Pennsylvania, New York, 1,600 in Ohio, and 1,800 in Florida. And then we did local area samples. We're, our target was to get a, uh, at least 300, between 300 and 500 in every local area. It depended on which counties were pass, we were passing through. A more populous county was easier to get bigger samples. Um, so the comparisons are going to be between these state samples and these local area samples. And the state samples do not include the local area. Um, generation projects were uh, AES Alamitos, which is a natural gas power facility, Chocolate Bio, which is a wind farm in, uh, that should be Texas. Sorry, that's just a typo. Um, Enerlogics Brooklyn, which is a solar farm in Ohio. Brook, I don't know where Brooklyn and Ohio fit together, but somehow they do. Uh, Turkey Point, which is nuclear power plant. So it's nice variation in types of projects. And then um, uh, three transmission lines and one distribution line project. And we were looking for variation in selecting the projects. We were looking for variation in the types of projects, in the states in which they were located, and um, regional variation. So we're trying to get a little bit from all the regions so we're not reflecting, say, something unusual about the West or something unusual about the Northeast. And the measures, what we really care about is, um, this, this was the most, this is the measure we ended up focusing the most on. Do you support or oppose the name of this project? Right? 
can, and we measured, so we had used a pretty conventional measure of degree of support or opposition to something. We also asked questions about would you protest, have you protested, um, have you written to your congressman, have you attended meetings about this project, and so forth. Uh, in addition to the measures of support and opposition, we want to know what people think of these facilities. Do they think they're bad for them or good for them? Um, one of the things that came up in our uh, uh, interviews with stakeholders and attending the meetings in various uh, states regarding some these projects was um, how many positive attributes of, of the projects were being discussed, like bringing new jobs to an area that had uh, a weakening economy, such as in Ohio, or um, uh, lowering the cost of electricity in an, in an area, and how much people were emphasizing those aspects as well as the local environmental harms and damages. So we asked a series of questions that tried to get at the possible benefits and the possible costs, as well as whether the benefits were localized or throughout the state. Um, so bringing down natural gas prices in the area in the project, bringing down natural gas prices um, in the state, and so forth. Generating tax revenue. This, this is for the natural gas pipelines. Uh, generating tax revenue for the local go government, creating new jobs in the area, creating new jobs in the state. What's valuable to whom? Do the people who are outside of the vicinity care about state jobs, and the people who are in the vicinity care about local jobs? Is there that degree of specificity? So we really wanted to understand what people were thinking about um, and whether it was highly localized or pretty global. Um, other aspect of perceptions are the costs. Will the project do damaging, damage to existing infrastructure? That was something that came up a lot in public meetings. Like just the construction process alone will damage our area. Um, well, lower property values in your area. If you build this, then my property values are going to go down. Uh, and then will it re result in environmental harms and adverse health impacts? So we'd like to know how much do people think, what do people think about the costs? Or these are the costs. What do people think about the benefits? Or the previous slide was the benefits. Are they different between the people who live in the local area and the state? Um, and how much these, those are perceptions, and how much these weigh on people's thinking in their expressions of support. Are the costs more important than the benefits? Are the benefits more important than the costs? Which costs matter? Which benefits matter? And then we have a variety of other measures uh, that we've included in the analysis. General risk attitudes, people who are more risk averse might really not want to have anything new happen uh, in their area. They might really want less change. Um, people who have strong environmental attitudes may be more opposed to uh, the construction of new projects. People who have climate concerns might want more some projects more than other projects. Um, for example, if you're concerned about the climate, you might be really opposed to a natural gas facility, but very supportive of a wind facility. Um, what your energy consumption is. If you consume a lot of energy, maybe you want a lower price, and that's what's driving your attitudes. Trust. Do you trust the company that's going to build this project? Um, do you trust the local government to make a good decision? Um, politics. One of the striking things about all the studies I've done in the energy field is how apolitical it really is. It's not Democrat versus Republican. It's not liberal versus conservative, and that shows up again here. It's just people thinking about 
the choice in front of them. And then finally, demographics. We have a lot of demographics we control for these and a few others, but those are the, the main culprits. So let me turn to the, fi the key findings. Um, the first key set of findings is there's no evidence of nimbyism, or what we might consider nimbyism to be. There's no evidence that people in the local area think somehow differently about a project than people outside of the local area. There's no evidence that people in the local area oppose projects reflexively and absolutely. So here's a, a terribly difficult graph to, to read, but you don't have to read the numbers. All you have to do is look at those bars. And every, this is every project in the study, and every bar corresponds to an area. The bar on the left in each uh, of the graphs is the state level of support, and the bar on the right in each of the graphs is the support in the vicinity. And they are identical. Right? There's no difference in support between people inside an area and outside an area. It's not in my backyard. Now, it might be like, don't build anything anywhere any, near anyone. We might have bananaism, but it's not nimbyism. Right? It's not put it somewhere else. It's people in and outside of local areas are the same. And this is a mid-level, it's not bananaism either. This is a mid-level layer of support pretty much throughout. Um, some of the projects are a little higher. Some of the projects are a little lower. Uh, Turkey points on the low end. It's a nuclear power plant, but it's not like zero. Um, so localism really, really, really doesn't matter in terms of public attitudes. People are not reflexively um, opposed to, to anything. And then to see this a little further, we, we can actually estimate for every project, after controlling for all sorts of things in a data analysis, whether or not there's a difference between the people in the level of support between the people in the local area and the people in the rest of the state. So if it's if the numbers are toward, if the, the bars are toward the left, then that means that people are in the local area more opposed than people in the state. If bars are toward the right, that means people in local areas are more supportive than people in the state. And the points are the estimated rate of support, or the estimated difference between the two, and the bars are how much uncertainty there is, that margin of error in our estimate. And for trans, the, and the vertical line is zero, no difference. So for transmission lines, the error bars overlap with zero. There's no difference at all between the local areas and the um, uh, uh, and the, the rest of the state in terms of opposition to transmission lines. For power generation facilities, all of the points are above the line. That means that. On average, the local areas were more supportive than the rest of the state of the lo for locating a power plant near them. It's very interesting. Might be that they chose the location properly. Uh, and the top uh, one, which is uh, uh, the Alamitos project here in California, the local area is more supportive than the rest of the state. It's very interesting. What's going? Really asks the question: What's going on in these? power plant um, projects. Are they just choosing the right places 
where there's going to be less opposition? Or are they somehow engaging with the community better than, uh, than one would expect? And then there's the problem of pipelines. If there's one area where there seems to be some evidence that local areas, once these things get rolling, are opposed to them, given everything else we know about the communities, given everything we know about the individuals, it seems that the pipelines tend to produce more opposition locally than, um, than throughout the state. Um, it's not a, a massive difference, but it is um, a statistically noticeable difference. <clears throat> Second um, important uh, observation is there's no difference between the state and local perceptions of harms and benefits. Right? So let's take those perceptions. Um, each of these graphs corresponds to the projects. There are two bars. The black bar is the benefit, and the gray bar is the harm. And this is just averaging the perceived harm and the perceived benefit. Um, and then we have the, again, we have on the left, the two bars are the state within each project, and the two bars on the right are the local area. And if we go through again, we see that couple, there are a couple points to bring out, but the black bars within each box are really not distinguishable. People in the local area see the benefits. People in the state see the benefits, roughly the same magnitude throughout. People in the local area see the harms. People in the state see the harms roughly the same magnitude for every project. The levels vary with the projects. Some of the projects are seen to be very costly, and some of them is not very costly, like Chocolate Bayou, which is a wind power plant, was seen to be not very um, costly or not very harmful. Um, uh, there's other projects, um, uh, such as Pilgrim, which is a gas pipeline at the top, were seen to be pretty, pretty harmful. But the different, there were no differences between the state and the local. It's not like the local area people saw this as a bad thing and the state said, oh, it's fine. It's somebody else's problem. <laughs> we don't want it. Um, or that the, the, the benefits were somehow different. Um, looking, I'm not going to show you this, but looking more fine-grained at the data, one of the other things that's striking is that local area people see the benefit to the state in terms of prices and jobs. And state-level people see the benefit to the local area in terms of prices and jobs. They see each other, and they understand each other. Right? So they're not just focused locally in their area, thinking only about their area. They're thinking about these projects as a whole. Um, the other thing that's striking about, about this uh, analysis is that people tend to see a lot more benefit than harm. In all, in all these projects. And it might be just like we're already in the process of a project having gotten through a certain level of scrutiny to this point already. So it's already, we've already dropped away maybe projects that were going to be very harmful. Um, third bit of evidence is the weight. How much do people weigh these factors when they think about them? Do they only, you might think they only think about local harms and that's it and, and they don't really think about the benefits. Or, um, they only think about the benefits to them. So <clears throat> this, this graph presents two different analyses estimating the weight of every one of the factors in the model. And the blue dots correspond to the 
local area, and the red dots correspond to the respondents in the state. And the point of this graph is not that you look at any one specific row or item or anything like that, but that you see that the red dots and the blue dots are completely overlapping each other. People in the state think about, when they think about this project, think about this project and give this project the same weight as the considerations that people in the local area are. So people in the local area, the first row is how much local energy prices matter. People in the local area think a lot about local energy prices. People in the state think about local energy prices in the area of the project. People outside the state care about what's happening to those people, and they see that as a positive benefit and a reason to support the project. People in the local area, the second row, think about state energy prices, and they give the same weight, almost exactly, to state energy prices in their thinking about whether the project should be cited, whether they support the project, as people outside the state. So people aren't thinking selfishly about their world only, their neighborhood only. They're thinking about the other people, and they're thinking about them in the same way. Um, Local taxes, local jobs, state jobs, all the same. All the same weight, just about the same importance. Um, Costs. Costs are the same. Certain costs tend to be um, higher than others. Local infrastructure, not as important, but they both think about it, and they both think about it the same way. Local property values, interestingly enough, not a big driver. That surprised me. I thought local property values were going to be like the thing that people were keying off of, and it wasn't. What people did key off of, both in the state and in the local area, was the degree of environmental harm, general environmental harm, separate from health benefits, which is the, or health costs, which is the final sort of cost. Health costs and environmental damage were both the most important costs that people considered. The state and the local area thought, people in the state and people in the local area thought the same way about those two attributes. And then the other um, factors are included. It was striking, like, demographics really didn't matter that much. Income didn't matter that much. That stuff really didn't matter. People were thinking trust mattered a little bit, how much you trust the government, how much you trust the companies. But people were really thinking about the attributes of these projects. It's going to be good for me. It's going to be good for the people in my location. Is it going to be good for people in the state? One little... um, thing to note is there's one variable in the middle that's called project knowledge, how much you know about that project knowledge. I want you to hold on to this one thing. The biggest coefficient in both models is project knowledge. So that means the more you know about the project, the more you support it. We'll come back to that. Um, and finally, a thing to, to emphasize um, is that people in the state care about the locale. People in the locale care about the state, and they care about them equally. Um, so it's not like there's a big difference. I want to present, I want to encourage us to think about uh, plant siding from an alternative view, which is 
forget about nimbyism, forget about reflexive local opposition. Some people will protest, that will happen. Um, and the alternative view is engagement. I think we're misreading the protests and what they're about. Um, what matters, this is the regression analysis without the, the uh, these are estimates of the weights without the overlay. What matters are the benefits and the costs. Those are the things that systematically come out um, as, as driving public attitudes about this. In other words, people, when they think about this and when they come up with plant siding, when they come up with a, a preference about whether transmission line should be supported or opposed, whether a power, line should, power plant should be supported or opposed, whether a pipeline should be supported or opposed, they're thinking about really nuts and bolts things. Is this going to affect jobs in my area? Is it going to affect jobs in the state? Is it going to affect price of electricity? Is it going to affect local taxes? Is it going to be harmful to the environment? Is it going to be bad for my health? Is it going to damage the roads I drive on? Is it going to reduce my property values? They just think about it that way. And it's not particularly, it's kind of a general um, degree of, uh, of engagement. So what matters is benefits and costs. And that's true of all sorts of topics. This isn't just an energy question. This is pretty universal whenever you do public pol polling about public policy making anywhere, any topic, people are thinking about benefits and costs. But that one, my interpretation of that is they're actually thinking. <laughs> they're thinking about the thing. They're engaged. Right? They're not saying, I'm an environmentalist, I oppose this. I'm a non-environmentalist, I don't, oppose, don't support it. Um, they're not thinking, I'm a Democrat, and I'm against nuclear power, and I'm a Republican. Oh, that's not the way they think at all. They're thinking, is this particular project that's been proposed good or bad for, for our community and for our state? The other evidence that this is about really about engagement, that NIMBYism is about engagement, is that project knowledge variable that popped out at a huge um, coefficient. And that means that the more people know about a project, the more they support it. Or to put it, turn it around, a lot of people didn't know anything about these projects in our surveys. And those who didn't know anything didn't support them. So it's almost like, you know, it's like voting on a referendum. I've never heard of this. I'm not voting for that. Like, if you've not heard of it, you're not going to support it. If the company and the government hasn't engaged you or engaged with you, you're not going to support it. If it wasn't that important, then my, my gut, my baseline reaction is going to be no. Right? And that's the way people are approaching these projects. And it's knowledge where we finally find a local difference. Right? Where do the local people and the state people really differ? They differ in their level of knowledge of these projects. 60% of people in the local samples knew something about these projects. Some of them knew a lot, some of them knew a little, but they knew something. In the state, it was the opposite. 60% didn't know anything. They never heard of it. They weren't paying attention. They weren't engaged. And given the weight that that has, that means that, and the, that it's a positive factor. The more you know, the more you like it. Then 
The fact that the local folks know more because they're engaged more means that they, on average, support these projects more uh, on the margin. Other factors might drag them in the other direction, but this factor pulls them towards support. So engagement is actually, um, I think, an important piece of the story. Uh, the survey also included a bunch of questions about process, and here's another piece of the puzzle as we're kind of exploring this <clears throat> that suggests that this is really about engagement and what people want. So we asked people, what sort of process do you want for um, the siting of energy? And uh, the, the choices where you could say local review, yes or no, state review, yes or no, federal review, Yes or no. So you could have answered no to everything. You could have answered yes to everything. 58% um, wanted local review, more local review. 72% wanted more state review, which I think is a telling aspect. They want kind of an assessment of what's good for the state. 28% wanted federal review. Right? They don't want the federal government involved. They want their state to be very involved, and they want their locale to be very involved. So they want government review. They want a process where there's this public discussion and public scrutiny of these projects. It's not like a company buys some land, puts a plant there because they own the land, they have property rights. That's not the view that people want. They want the government to scrutinize these projects and for there to be an opportunity to have this public um, input. But they don't want the public. They don't want the government to have the power to build the projects. Right? They want review as opposed to domain. We asked a question on eminent domain. For what do you think eminent domain is appropriate? Building a pipeline is 27 percent. It's on the low end of things that people support for eminent domain. Um, so they don't want the government to have the power to go and take over some land to give to a, to a company for building a pipeline. So it's not that they don't want the government to be in the process of being the construction process. They want the, process, the government to be in the position of being their voice in the review process. And finally, compensation. When it comes right down to it, who should be compensated? Um, uh, nobody, 4%. Right? People want some compensation for what's going on. Only the landowners with property that contains the project, 32%. All residents in a community that contain a project, 40%. These are the state samples. So the states, people in the state see that they want the communities, either the property holders that are affected or all the people in the community, to be compensated properly for um, the construction of the project. Let me wrap up and we can take a few questions. Um, the, the project started out, we, we expect to see like huge NIMBY effects, huge like differences between local areas and states. That was what we were hunting for. And we found no evidence of what we would consider to be a NIMBY reaction or a NIMBY assessment of these projects. People do not oppose these projects absolutely no matter what. Um, they have reasons for opposing them, whether they think it's harmful or beneficial. Proximity does not mean opposition. Um, people in local areas have the same level of support for these projects as people in the states, um, and they see the projects the same way, people in the state and the people in the local area. 
I think we're misreading the opposition um, when there are protests. People, those are people expressing their opinion. They're a piece of a bigger process of review. Um, it is op opposition, yes, but it is not absolute and is not universal. It's not everyone in that area. The alternative view, I think, is a view of engagement, um, which is that people think about the attributes of projects and whether they will, in assessing whether they will support or oppose it. And people in the area of a project tend to know more. They tend to be more engaged. For most of the projects, that led to more support. A couple of projects that led to a little less support. Um, people who know nothing, it's the know-nothings who reflexively oppose things, right? People who are not engaged. And as soon as, somebody, as a project is located in a local area, people begin to engage, right? which is, as far as I can tell, the opposite of what we think NIMBYism is. <clears throat> and finally, people want a process. They want a government system that creates more opportunity for review, more opportunity for them to have their say, and more opportunity for engagement. Um, and that seems to me to be quite the opposite of the old story of NIMBYism, that we want a government process to allow us to stop things, as opposed to a government allow us, process to allow us to scrutinize, review, and accept the things that are good, and reject the things that are bad. Thank you very much, and we're open for questions. Thank you, Steve. Uh, it was a wonderful talk. I was amazed by how consciously people make their mind, make up their mind on energy project based on costs and benefits rather than you know how close the facility to be built will be. But then why some of us believe that uh, the U.S. public doesn't seem to follow the same patterns for presidential election? <laughs> are we are we misreading, <laughs> or is there a fundamental difference between energy project versus um, political elections? Are you thinking about coal in the last election, or in general? I mean, what, you know, um, for example, U.S. healthcare overall. You know, many of the states that who supported um, a current president um, were direct, um, directly, uh, you know, damaged by the um, the new uh, Trump uh, Trump care uh, proposal. So some, it seems that some of us believe that well, the general public didn't actually consciously um, do the math and cost benefit analysis when when they are making up their mind who the, who they should support. Whereas you showed that for energy project, it seems that people are making very consciously their, their minds. So. Presidential choices are very complicated, right? Because a presidential candidate, there are two of them, and they're making lots of different statements about what kind of policies they're going to pursue across a lot of policies. And in that context, some people cared about health care. Hillary won the health care vote. Some people care about foreign trade and immigration. Trump won the immigration vote. Right? So people who care about those different things uh, are plugging into the candidates based on what they're saying. So in the case of health care in the presidential election, um, I think that was a case of going in a particular direction. And the Republicans have had a, 
even, even when they had control of both chambers of Congress and the presidency, had a very difficult time repealing it, the ACA or even restructuring it. It's been done kind of inadvertently through the budget process and through executive orders. So they're, they're very careful not to do the very public thing of passing a law that repeals the ACA because of the backlash, because all those health care voters, they would lose them forever, and they're aware of that. Um, so they're trying to manage... Uh, that piece of their public opinion. They're on the wrong side of public opinion in that case, and, and how do they push against it? Um. Thank you for an interesting talk. Um, I was just wondering if you looked into sort of where this knowledge was coming from. It strikes me if it's coming from the company itself, then likely it's more of a form of propaganda rather than a balanced perspective, which is maybe why you saw people more likely to support a project after that? Yeah, so we have a battery of questions like, where did you learn about this? Did you go to public meetings? Did you? Most of it's through the media, it appears, from, what, from self-reports. Um, it's hard to, hard to know where people learn things, really. Um, <laughs> all right? but we, we learn a, turns out we learn a lot from our friends, um, but a lot, a lot of it's uh, coming from, from media by their own reporting. Um, some of it's from public... Um, it's from news reports, newspaper, reading the newspaper, reading online, um, uh, TV news uh, projections. Some people from public meetings, smaller percent. Yeah, I, I was curious in your survey structuring, um, if you consider the regional entities that are most often involved in planning or management of energy, um, Examples would be the electric region transmission systems, or maybe less directly might be in the midstream of oil and gas, might be the networks or nodes. Um, where your geography choice of state um, wouldn't therefore match to those regions, and whether that has implications. <clears throat> Yeah, so we have one interstate project in here, that one, of the, one of the, I think it's one of the, Transmission. Yeah, one of the pipelines goes between New York and Pennsylvania. When we did the um, the interviews with stakeholders, we talked a lot to the regional authorities, um, and these companies are, you know, global. Really, they're they're operating um, in the U.S. as well as elsewhere. So we got a lot of the regional perspective. A lot of in those conversations, a lot of comparisons between like you know, how we think about it here. One of the most complicated things up in the Northeast is the role of Canada. Canada's a huge provider, especially for backup electricity. Uh, like when there's you know, surges in New York, we buy a lot from Canada, which is a whole other layer of regionality um, and a very interesting one. But yeah, this is a, that's another really interesting um, uh, uh, thing to consider. Yeah, I'm struck by the by two of the things you said about what's going on with respect to states. Um, one was that uh, the the people you talked to seemed to think that they wanted the state involved in in decisions in the decisions. In other words, they valued the impact of state you know regulatory and legislative processes, but at the same time, that knowledge of state level things seemed to be 
much less impactful than knowledge of, of local projects. So uh, am, I, am I interpreting that correctly? Or? So, so the first one's right. I think uh, just to be clear about what I'm saying, it's that people in the local area know a lot more about these projects than people in the state. So people in the state feel less engaged. So part of that might be a demand for more state reviews so that there's more engagement. People want to know more about what's going on. or want to have, At least they want to have the opportunity um, for that. There, but there might be another aspect to it, which is they, they, people want more state review because they view that more as a regional issue, and the state is how they think of their, their region rather than as a specific county issue or uh, local area issue. It was if I was promoting a project that promoting it statewide versus locally might be a smart move. <laughs> because uh, I'd, be doing, I'd be doing it in a, in a favorable pool. Yeah, could be. Or where there's a more gain in terms of public opinion. Right, so right. if you've got a state, li- a state commission that you have to get approval from um, and you're a company, uh, you've already probably got a lot of engagement locally. If you want to sway the public, if you want to push things in your direction, you should run a statewide campaign. Um, so I know that this, these projects were all kind of already in the process of being developed. They weren't kind of you know being thought about or had already happened. Do you have a sense of how kind of public opinion would change for projects that had just been proposed or ones that had been operational for kind of years? Um, so things that had been o- operational for years, like we didn't do Keystone or any of those because they were things were pretty well you know, set, shaken out there. So we wanted to see where, where the process, where, how people were engaging in the middle of this process and whether we were starting to see nimbyism um, or absolute opposition before the discussion had really begun. And they weren't really at the very beginning. They were pretty early on. Um, and for the planning, like, we plan a year in advance for the survey and get everything. You know, the process is going forward. So we had to, like, time uh, where we were and how the process was evolving so that we weren't asking about projects that had already been approved. And that was the main thing we were avoiding. Because if you ask about something that's already been approved or already been rejected, you'll get that response. Oh, yeah, I, approve, I support it because the government approved it, or I oppose it because the government rejected it. And so certain things like some of the North Dakota stuff and Keystone and such were not great for that, even though they were, would have been fascinating to go and talk to people about what was going on in those conflicts. All right. Thank you all for coming, and thank you, Steve, for this thank presentation. You. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.